Good evening, everybody. Welcome into the Deep Dive. My name is Tim, and welcome to the channel as well. If you were here for the first time, I'd appreciate a subscribe. I'd appreciate a like or whatever you want to do in terms of connecting more with this channel. As on Wednesday nights at 7.30, we do the Deep Dive Bible Study where we go through the biblical text verse by verse. And what I really love about this content or this type of content is that we get to go through books of the Bible that we might avoid on a Sunday morning service, or we might not talk about much in our daily devotions, but we still need to hear from because it is the Word of God, and every word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Amen? 1 Kings chapter 9 is where we are tonight on the Deep Dive, and it is episode or part 10 of the Deep Dive Kings of Compromise study, and I would like to open us up with prayer, and then we'll dive in. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to hear your word, and I pray in Jesus' name that we will see you, know you, grow to be like you, and learn today from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Kings of Compromise, part 10. Okay, here's the deal. What are the signs that we need to pay attention to that spiritual decline is ahead? Wouldn't it be nice to have like a radar for that? Like we have a miles per hour gauge that tells us when we're going too fast. You ever drive by that little sign that flashes and says your speed and it blinks and if you're going really, really fast, it's like red and if you're going really, really fast, it's like flashes lights in your eyes. Yeah, I see those lights a lot, unfortunately. But anyway, wouldn't it be nice to have something like that in life when it comes to our, our lives going forward? What are the things that we should be paying attention to that say, look, we're not looking good right now in our spiritual life, and it could lead to a eventual decline if we're not careful? Well, First Kings chapter 9 is about that. First Kings chapter 9, I, you know, again, part 10 of the Kings of Compromise, and we're only into chapter 9. In First Kings, but we're going to go through two chapters today on the deep dive because we got to get through this book. And again, we've only been talking about one king so far. It's the kings, plural of compromise, but we've only been talking about one King Solomon because, of course, he is God's chosen king to build the temple, and he does incredible things. He leads Israel to this zenith of existence, but eventually, he is the one who sows the seeds of their eventual demise, and we see that most clearly in chapters 9 and 10 of 1 Kings. So let's go through the text. Okay, right back here to the Bible cam, which is the Logos Bible cam, and I hope that you like that. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 9 is where we're going to be, and we're going to take a look at the fact that once again, and I've got my little drawing gear here, once again, Solomon uh, gets God to appear to him. The Lord appears to Solomon. And this also happens Verse 1 says, when he had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house, sorry, (laughs) finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time. Now, this is important because remember the first time that Solomon, uh, God appeared to Solomon was back in 1 Kings chapter what? Chapter 3. And this was right after he, you know, the scripture says that uh, he loves the Lord. Uh, he was walking in the Lord's statues, the statues of David. He sacrificed, of course, to the high places. That's what Israel was doing. That's why they needed a temple. And he offers a thousand burnt offerings to the Lord on that altar. And the Bible says that the Lord appeared to Solomon again, uh, Solomon and Gibeon uh, in a dream by night and said those magic, wonderful words, ask what I shall give you. Now, this is the first time 
that God appeared to Solomon. But now we are at the second time where God appears to Solomon and he is appearing to him on the heels of finishing the temple. And we didn't read this last time we were together, but he had sacrificed again. He offered sacrifices and peace offerings, 22,000 oxen. This is all the last part of 1 Kings 8, 120,000 sheep, um, you know, just offering after offering after offering, sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And it is just a sign that Solomon is really putting on a display of religious devotion to God. And now here we are in 1 Kings chapter 9, and God shows up again. But this time, God shows up in a different place. God shows up to Solomon on the heels of great success. His house is finished. Uh, his palace is finished. The temple is finished. The people have a place to worship. The, the ornaments, the decorative nature of the temple is all in place. The gold is floor to ceiling. Everything is looking really good. It's an amazing moment, um, an accomplishment, if you will, in Solomon's life. And it really begs this important question. We hear a lot about the path to success, but what about the pitfalls of success? The path to success, man, that's all over your local bookstores, bookshelves, right? Careers, marketing, advertising, uh, making sure that you conquer, uh, making sure that you succeed, making sure that you become great. That bookshelf is jam-packed. But what about this bookshelf? The I call it the Stay Humble bookshelf. <laughs> the Stay Grounded bookshelf. That's a makeshift graphic, by the way, that I made five minutes before I started recording this episode. But nonetheless, you know, we, 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 we do a lot of this and we do a little bit of that. And what First Kings chapter 9 and 10 is going to ask us to pay attention to here is there are some major pitfalls to success. Success is something that we seek, but then when we get it, uh, we don't really know what to do with it. And Solomon is exhibit A of the Bible's sad lineage of, of, of great people who on the back nine of their careers uh, bogeyed every hole. And that is where we are in 1 Kings chapter 9. We are going to see the seeds, the warning signs, that, that flashing, you're going too fast warning sign in Solomon's life so that hopefully we can pick up some warning signs in our own lives and learn and grow and avoid these same mistakes as scripture tells us to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So with that in mind, let's go to the text. And I'm going to, if you don't mind, going to use this format of the text for just a moment. Again, verse 1, as soon as Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to him a second time as he had to him at Gibeon. Okay, again, backside of all of his success, all the things that he had done. Now, remember his words at the first time of God's appearance. First time God appears to Solomon, what does Solomon say? He says, Lord, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. I am just a little child. I don't know how to go in. I don't know how to come out or go out and come in. He says, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered uh, or counted. It's, a, it's an incredible responsibility, God, that you've given me. And you have to notice that Solomon at this point is totally humble. He's totally reliant on God. I need your wisdom. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just a child. Like these words are just music to God's ears. And I think that they are why God says, all right, I am going to give you wisdom, but then your wisdom is going to be accompanied with wealth and prestige and power and all these things I'm going to give you. They're from me. And you get these things through humility. And that is true. When we humble ourselves before God and depend on him and do life his way, it does more often than not lead to success. 
Again, but there are pitfalls to success, and we'll talk, we'll talk about that as we go along in this episode. But this was Solomon pre-success. I'm a child. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have a clue. Isn't that where you started? Maybe you are still there. Maybe you are not yet on the, you know, the, the front nine. You haven't even gotten to the, 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 the tee-off point of, <laughs> of, of hole one. I don't know why we, I'm using all these golf analogies. I don't even play golf, but nonetheless, life is like that. We start to ascend the mountain of success, start to build our career, build our families, build our reputations, build our wealth or whatever you want to call it. And, and, and we are dependent. We're open. This is what Jesus is talking about, by the way, when he says, when you come into the kingdom, you've got to come as a child. What is a child? A child is a totally dependent human being on someone else. If you want to, if you want to grow in the kingdom and develop in the kingdom, you've got to develop that through humility. So uh, that, that Solomon is long gone. And this is what we're seeing here, and we're going to see here in First Kings chapter 9. The Solomon that said, I don't know what I'm doing, is long gone. This time God shows up, and he kind of gives him an admonition and then a warning. So verse 3, he says, uh, uh, the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. As for you, and this is the encouragement, as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever as I promised David your father, saying you shall not lack a man on the throne. And you have to understand that that is a huge promise. That is a a huge offering that God has made here to Solomon, which is to say, your lineage, your, your, your reign will be for all time, and there will always be someone who is the son of Solomon on the throne of Israel. This is what ancient kings longed for. This is why they always put their sons in charge after them. And God gives him this, this opportunity. You're going to be great. But the problem is that we have found in life, in, in history, in the Bible, and uh, uh, probably in your own life, is that Sometimes it's harder to serve God and obey God in the successful places of life than in the disastrous places of life. It's kind of ironic because we, we, we think if we're successful, we'll finally be somebody and we'll be healthy and we'll be strong. And unfortunately, there is a undertow to success that kind of drags us down, pulls us back and destroys us in a very subtle way, a very under the surface kind of way. Solomon has all the wisdom, glory, power you can imagine, and it becomes a recipe for disaster. Uh, I think about what, uh, there's a proverb, it's not written by Solomon, but there's a proverb that I don't know if you are like me, but I have a hard time, I have a hard time praying this proverb over my life, and it's actually Proverbs um, 30, 8, 9, and here's what it says, remove far from me falsehood and lying, give me neither and I like this, look at this, give me neither poverty nor riches. Uh, that's incredible to think about. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say who is the Lord, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. Look at the two warnings from the Proverbs writer. He says, I want to make sure that in my life I avoid poverty and riches. I have prayed, God, don't let me go poor, right? Don't let me be financially distraught. I have never prayed, God, don't let me be rich. <laughs> I don't know if you have. And if you have, you're more spiritual than me. But this proverb is written, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it probably is a prayer that we should pray, right? God, give me neither poverty nor riches. Because I don't want to get to the point where I deny you because I'm starving. And I did, or I deny you because I'm so full, I don't think I need you. 
it's what I'm saying is it's harder to obey God when you're well off. So, so what we see in the Lord's appearance before Solomon here is grace because God doesn't want Solomon to go astray. And I say grace on purpose because look at the very next text in verse nine, the word, but begins in verse, verse six, the word, but begins in verse six, because it is a hard shift in the emphasis of what Solomon is being spoken to by the Lord. Uh, God says, if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes uh, that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then, and look at these very strong warnings that God says, I will cut off Israel from the land that I've given them. This is, this is the people that he rescued from Egypt and brought to himself, right? He says, I will cut them off. Um, I will take away the land and the house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. The temple would literally be destroyed. And it will eventually at the end of second Kings, the temple is destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And God's like, I will destroy this house if you turn aside from my commandments and Israel, it gets worse. Israel will become a proverb and a byword. What is a proverb? A wise saying. Uh, uh, sometimes a proverb is a very negative saying, uh, like pride goes before a, a destruction and a haughty look before a fall, right? That's a, that's a negative saying, but it's also a very positive saying, because if you don't, if you don't embrace pride, you won't be destroyed, right? But Israel will become a wise saying in the negative sense. And then the word byword here uh, is the word shenina in Hebrew. And it literally means uh, a sharp cutting word, a taunt. Like God is saying, your name, Israel, which I love, God is saying, <laughs> these are my people. They will become a taunt. They will become almost a swear word. Hey, don't become like Israel. Oh my gosh, that thing is so Israel. Like you can just kind of see what God is saying here uh, in, in this text. And he says, they will become a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and they will hiss and they will say, why has the Lord done this and thus to the house? And they will say, because they abandoned the Lord, their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. Okay, first thing, first thing in this text, you, gotta see, you have to see this, that God wants us to consider how important it is that we honor and respect his word. His word has to come first. His word has to be respected. And God is willing to let Israel be annihilated, literally destroyed, ripped away from all these blessings if they, if they disobey, if they do not follow the word of the Lord. Now, this is important for us to understand something because God is saying, it is more important that my word be listened to and honored than you succeed. Then you succeed and my word is dishonored as you succeed. It is more important, Christian, that you obey God in your life, then you succeed before others. Why? Because your life is the result of the word. Jesus is the word. He makes you who you are. The word became flesh. We believe the word saves us. He is the word of our salvation, right? And your life obeying God's word is a testimony to people who do not yet know God. And if your life can be blessed while you disobey, it sends the wrong message to the world. Now, I know what you're saying and what you're thinking right now, just what I'm thinking, which is I know a lot of people who get successful and they say they belong to Christ and they don't look and act like they belong to Christ, but they keep saying they belong to Christ. Okay, look, just give it time. <laughs> because Solomon is going to very, very slowly descend um, for many, many years. And the Lord is going to let him get away with a lot. looks like it's going to get a lot, he's going to get, let him get away with a lot of things, but eventually it all comes to catch up to him. But this is a warning for us. God wants his word so honored that he will, he will let his people struggle as they disobey his word so that people will see 
that there is a blessing to following the word and there's also a curse to not following the word. And when we are God's people, you've got to understand this. When you are God's child, <laughs> he's going to hold you uh, ever more accountable to this reality in your life. And you might not like it, but it is absolutely necessary to bring honor and glory to his word so that people will trust his word. See it? See that people will trust his word. Let's go on, verse 10. Uh, at the end of 20 years, uh, in which Solomon had built the ho- two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house, and Hiram, king of Tyre, uh, had supplied Solomon with cedar, cypress, timber, and gold as much as he desired. Now, this is a very important key word here, uh, that Hiram said, you know what? I'm not even going to hold back anything you want. I'll give you as much cedar, cypress, timber, uh, gold as you want. King Solomon gave to Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. Now, this is an important thing. Look at this word. Where, where are the cities? 20 cities in the land of Galilee. We know a little bit of, about Galilee as New Testament Christians, right? It says this, but when Hiram came from Tyre to see the cities that Solomon had given him, they did not please him. Therefore, he said, what kind of cities are these that you have given me, my brother? So they are called the land of Kabul to this day. Hiram had sent to the king 120 talents of gold. So the word Kabul or Kabul means worthless. And this is just kind of like a picture of how Solomon has already started to let his success go to his head. This is a sign that you have allowed pride to sneak up and sneak into your life. You start to use people to get things. Now, now remember, and we've talked about Hiram before. Hiram was a friend of David's. David honored Hiram. Hiram honored David. David, you know, heard Hiram's father was sick, so he sent, you know, messengers. He's like, look, I heard your father died. I, you know, care about you. Hiram loved David. There's a good relationship, strong mutual bond between these two men. And for the sake of David, Hiram loves Solomon. So Solomon and Hiram also have this great trade agreement. They have this great relationship. They have a friendship. And Solomon is going to bless or, or, or pay good rates for Hiram's workers and all that kind of stuff. And that happened a few chapters ago. I think it was chapter five. But now look at the conniving, the conniving side of Solomon. Remember, the original plan was for Solomon to feed Hiram's workers for the lumber that he was given. But he changes the deal here, doesn't he? He gives them a bunch of cities. And <laughs> the text makes known to us they're worth the cities. These are not cities that are desirable. There is land that's desirable and there's land that's not desirable. And so what we see is Solomon is letting success go to his head because he's starting to change the terms of agreements with people. He's starting to use people. He's starting to, I don't know, kind of stick it to Hiram. Like, oh, I know I said I would give him these things, but now I'm just going to give him these cities because I don't really want those cities and they're to the north and I don't care about them. And so here you go. Here's some cities. Oh, I'm not going to give you the stuff I was going to give you. Here's some cities. And Hiram's like, okay, let me go check the cities out. And he's like, what are these? These are, these are worthless. And, and, and you see it. You see the, the sign that success is going to your head when you start to use people to gain possessions. Success is not based on how much you acquire. Success is not based on how much you have. Success is about how much you can inspire others to know and follow the Lord. That is success. And what Solomon is starting to do right here with one of his longest friends, oldest friends, most reliable partners in industry, is he's, trying, he's starting to use him. He's starting to just say, you know what? I'm going to just take advantage of you. And that's when you know success is starting to seep in. Warning sign, flashlights, you're going too fast. Slow down. Quick hint to the gospel, though. Let's take a look again. It is in the land of Galilee, and they are worthless cities, and nobody wants them. By the way, the scripture says that when Jesus decides to start his ministry, he decided to go to Galilee. Check that out. John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. 
he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Where does Jesus go to start the movement of Jesus? Where does he start the church? The, 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 the movement that would change the world to a place called Galilee, which was formerly known as the worthless cities that Solomon gave to Hiram, king of Tyre. And I just think this is a beautiful picture of the gospel. That, that, that Jesus does what Solomon, the exact opposite of what Solomon did. Solomon said worthless cities. Hiram said worthless cities. There's no value there. Jesus says, I'm going to go to a place where people think they're worthless and I'm going to make them glorious. I, we name our sons, Peter's and James's and John's and Andrew's. And you know, these names that are all from Galilee, they're all from a place in Israel that is considered worthless where you did not go. It was not a vacation destination. It was not you know, a wonderful place to go and visit. It was, it was Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee of the Gentiles, by the way, the Assyrian nation would come in and conquer, and we'll get to this later, uh, the northern part of the kingdom, which is where Galilee is, and they will intermarry with the children of Israel, and they will basically uh, pollute the population with Gentile blood. And so even there, Galilee is considered like this very kind of half Jewish, half, half Gentile kind of community. And Jesus goes there. Jesus decides to go to the place that people consider worthless. I just think it's a beautiful picture of the gospel, but not the main content of what we're talking about in today's episode. So verse 15, this is the account of the forced labor that King Solomon drafted to build the house of the Lord and the house of the Milo and the wall of Jerusalem and Hazar and Megiddo and Gezer. And look at this town called Gezer. It says, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and captured Gezer and burned it with fire and had killed the Canaanites who lived in the city and had given it to his as dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. So Solomon rebuilt Gezer and lower Beth Horon and Baalath and Tamar in the wilderness in the land of Judah. And now look at verse 19, very important text here. And all the store cities that Solomon had and the cities for his chariots and the cities for his horsemen and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem and Lebanon and all the land of his dominion. Dudes got cities for horses, cities for chariots and store cities. Like... (laughs) How do you know success is going to your head when you, when you keep building out your storage facilities? It is kind of ironic, too, that in America, whenever you see new developments or new industry going up, how often do you say, oh, I wonder what's going in there? I wonder if it's a, a restaurant or I wonder if it's a, a new store or if it's another, you know, maybe a museum, right? We, we, we don't build museums anymore. What do we build? We build storage facilities, self-storage, 24-hour storage, easy storage, store and share, you know, all these kind of things. All over the place in our country, we see that America is doing very much what Solomon did in 1 Kings chapter 9. And, and it just shows that Americans are filthy rich you know, comparatively to the rest of the world, where we got to keep out, keep building out Solomon um, store places to to house our stuff, and and what does he build house? What does he build cities for? Chariots and horsemen, and that's important. Uh, he's building store cities for gold, for chariots and horses, and this is in direct violation of Deuteronomy 17, the law for kings. Deuteronomy 17, talking about the kings of Israel, God says through Moses. Uh, it says the king must not acquire what many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many, in order to acquire many horses. Uh, since the Lord has said, you shall never return that way again. And he should not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Now, a lot of times in the headlines of the Bible, Solomon's demise, uh, we center on this, uh, this issue right here in verse 17, many wives. Oh yeah, we know Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And that's, that's what caused him to uh, disobey God. Yeah, but there are already some preluding issues 
So those issues are that he wants a strong military. So he goes to Egypt and he gets chariots and he goes to the north and he, uh, Q, we'll find out later, and he gets horses and he's importing all of these military structures around himself. Why? Because he wants to save what he has acquired for himself and even acquire more stuff for himself. This is the problem with riches and success is that it, it is never enough. It never stops. We never get to the point where we think, okay, I've got enough now. And this is a huge issue with success. Uh, but we're not, we're not even close to being done, so let's go. We're going to go through 1 Kings chapter 9 and 10 today. Let's take a look at verse 20. All the people who were left of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, who were not of the people of Israel, their descendants who were left after them in the land, whom the people of Israel were unable to devote to destruction, these Solomon drafted to be slaves, and so they are to this day. But, to the people, but of the people of Israel, Solomon made no slaves. They were the soldiers. They were his officials, commanders, his captains, his chariot commanders, and his horsemen. Um, this is very important because... We see in the text here that the people of Israel, again, one of the main problems for the people of Israel is that they did not wipe out the foreign nations around them. Uh, listed here, again, the Amorites, uh, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. I mean, why was, by the way, why is every foreign nation with an ite? <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, Massachusetts-ite, Florida-ite, I don't know. Uh, West Virginia-ite. No, we, anyway, I don't know why I'm on that topic, but nonetheless, all these ites, 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 ites. ites. The people of Israel did not do what God said concerning these people. They were supposed to wipe them out. Holy war. Wipe them out. Why? Because they will pollute you. They will pollute you. In fact, we have we can go back to that text right now. Deuteronomy 7, verse 2. And when the Lord God gives you to the gives these lands over to you, you shall defeat them. You shall you shall devote them to complete destruction. You make no covenant with them. You show no mercy to them. You don't intermarry with them. You don't give your sons to them, their daughters to them, whatever. You're, for, you, for they would, look at this, verse 4, for they would turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. This is what God is trying to have us in these kinds of texts, and you have to see it. The Lord is fully aware that the people you surround yourself with will shape you. Christians, please understand this. The people that you surround yourself with most often are the people who are going to shape your life. And if you surround yourself with people who hate God and hate Scripture and hate the Word of God and hate the Bible and hate, and hate um, the church and the movement of Jesus, they will pollute you. They will turn you, and most importantly, check this out, parents, they will turn your sons away from following God. You've got to be very aware of this because God wants us very aware of this, that bad company does, in fact, corrupt good character. And so who are you, who are you hanging with? Who are you around? Who are you fellowshipping with? This is who you become, and it is a it is a it is a important call to getting yourself surrounded by good Christians, godly people, people who honor God and put Him first. And I'm not just talking about church people because church people can be just as fake and corrupt as the world. I'm talking about good people who who follow Christ. Christ is first in their lives. Yes, they have their faults. They will always have faults. They will always have sins that they struggle with in their life. But these are people who most often, more often than not, want God and more of the Lord in their life. Surround yourself with these people, and they will affect your personal uh, development, your personal life, okay? Let's continue with the text. Verse 23, uh, these were the chief officers who were over Solomon's work. Again, these are the people of Israel that he did not enslave, but he says 550 who had charge of the people who carried on the work. But Pharaoh's daughter went up from the city of David to her own house that Solomon had built for her. 
And by the way, that's a bad sign right there because now we see that his marriage to this woman is very distant and very cold. And that is exactly what happens when success comes into a home sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes that marriage is struggle when there's success because success allows you to live in separate homes. <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a fact here. It says this, then he built a Milo. Verse 25, three times a year, Solomon used to offer up burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar that he built to the Lord, making offerings with it before the Lord. So he finished the house. And just concluding here, chapter nine, I believe this is the last verse in chapter nine, verses in chapter nine. Yeah, verse 26. King Solomon built a fleet of ships at Ezion-Geber, which is near Eloth on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. And Hiram sent with the fleet his servants, seamen who were familiar with the sea, together with the servants of Solomon. And they went to Ophir and brought from their gold 420 talents, and they brought it to King Solomon. Okay, this is incredible. What we are seeing here is that Solomon is not ever satisfied. He just doesn't ever have enough. Uh, and, and, and we're going to see it even more in chapter 10, but he's got plenty of gold. He's got plenty of stuff. He's got plenty of riches. He's got so much riches that the rest of the world is starting to take notice of how, how rich this guy is. But it's not enough. He goes down to the shores of the Red Sea and in the land of Edom, which is not his land, by the way, and that was for the sons of Esau. And God told Israel not to touch them. He goes down there. He's like, I'm going to establish a, a port city here in, in, in a land that's not mine so that I can go down into another area with ships and partner up with my guy Hiram. And we're going to build some, a, massive, a massive fleet of ships and we're going to go get gold for us. And the reason why is because when success goes to your head, it, you're never satisfied with enough. You're never satisfied with what you have. And you have a huge contrast. Okay. You have a huge contrast here between the the Solomon before his success and the Solomon now. I want to put this up on the screen because it's important. What a difference 20 years makes. Over here on the left, 1 Kings chapter 4, the pre-successful Solomon. Uh, as soon as he prays for wisdom and, and God starts to bless him with wisdom and, and, and strength in the, as a king, it says, if you remember, 1 Kings chapter 4, 20, Judah and Israel were as many as the sand on the sea. They ate, drank, and were happy. Verse 25, and Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan to Beersheba, every man under his own vine and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. So you have prosperity amongst the people. But look what happens after 20 years. 20 years later, Solomon is building this fleet of ships and he's acquiring uh, this gold from Ophir and 420 talents, which is an obscene amount. There's really no way to do a direct correlation of what that is today, but this is an obscene. All, all, all the commentators said this is an obscene amount of gold. And they brought it to King Solomon. Like <laughs> before it was national prosperity. Uh, communal prosperity. Now it's individual prosperity. Again, another sign, another bad sign that success has gone to your head because it's no longer about people. It's about you. It's about you getting more, you acquiring more, you having more, and that is a dangerous place to be. Now, how we see Solomon living is completely different than how we see Solomon talking in two books of the Bible that he wrote, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, regarding wealth. Ironically, in his middle age, he writes this book, Proverbs, to instruct his sons on the dangers of women, the dangers of money, the dangers of <laughs> all the things that he is chasing. And then at the end of his life, he writes a book called Ecclesiastes about how he hated life because of all these things. And we're going to see that in just a moment. But just take a look at how Solomon himself wrote about wealth. Proverbs 23, verse 4. Do not acquire wealth. Uh, I'm sorry. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Uh, be discerning enough to resist. Now, wealth, again, is not in itself evil. It's this constant toiling. It's this constant desire to have, to have, to have, to get, to get, to get, to get. It's never enough. And, Proverbs, and, and Solomon even knew that himself. 
And then Proverbs 28, 20, it says, a faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. You want to get more, you want to get more, you want to get more, you want to have, 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 have. It will be a punishment eventually for you. And uh, the punishment might not be that God judges you. The punishment might be that God gives you, allows you to get all those things and it's just never enough. As Solomon will write later on in life, Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. It's vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? In other words, you get all the stuff. At the end of the day, what do you have? You just have stuff. You just have things. Nothing of real value. Nothing of real meaning. People are valuable. People have meaning. But when you acquire all these things around you, you think this is going to make my life a blessing. This is going to make my life successful and valuable. You're deceiving yourself. It, that, that is not the definition of success. Again, success is not about what you have in your hand or what you have in your possession. Success is about the influence that you make on other people's lives for the sake of the gospel. Okay, let's turn the page to 1 Kings chapter 10. Like I said, we're going to get through two chapters today. And this is the famous visit of the queen of Sheba. Verse 1. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon uh, concerning... Uh, uh, sorry, I just lost my control here. <laughs> Concern, yep, back. Let's go back. Okay, here we go. When the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all the questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. Okay, amazing moment here. First off, she comes with all of her pomp and ceremony, right? She comes with her precious stones, her gold, her spices. She comes with her camels, her great retinue. And she's the queen of Sheba. I'm sure she was good looking. I'm, you know, I'm sure she was dressed to the nines. I'm sure she looked impressive. And she comes strolling in with her chariots and her horsemen and her men walking behind her and in front of her and all these kind of things. And goes into Solomon's uh, city and she's just wants to know, is this guy as smart as I've heard? Is this guy as great as I've heard? And the scripture says there's nothing he couldn't answer. There's nothing that he couldn't answer. It's an amazing testimony of who Solomon is. What we are seeing is that his success has started to spread. The news of his success has started to spread. He has become somewhat of a celebrity. Uh, not somewhat, a very much celebrity. Uh, by the way, where is Sheba? Uh, it is down here to the south. Uh, Jerusalem is up here to the north. And you can see that she came a pretty far ways. There's a spice route right along the way. By the way, I get this from the ESV Study Bible. We'll take a look at this a little bit later, the same map uh, and why it matters uh, to the story of Solomon. But this woman comes from a long way to hear about Solomon's wisdom. He answers all the questions and then take a look at what happens next in verse four. When the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, his burnt offerings that he offered to the house of the Lord, there was no breath in her. Literally where we probably get the phrase, he took her breath away. Like this is an amazing moment where he is not just famous for being famous like the Kardashians. He's famous because he is of substance. This guy's got it going on. He's got the wisdom. He's got the glory. He's got the fame. And But notice that she takes note of all the things about him, his table, his officials, his servants, his cupbearers, his burnt offerings that he offered. There was no breath in her. I mean, she is seeing the blessing of God, but unfortunately, she's only seeing the the man who's got the blessings and not God. Like that's the problem. Now she is going to praise the Lord, but a little bit more a little bit more flattery than praise the Lord. 
we got to take a look at the next verse to see that. And she said to the king, the report was true that I heard my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came with my own eyes and seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I had heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. And then again, she blessed the Lord. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Both because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again, um, yeah, never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. <laughs> oh, my friends, please, please, please make sure that you are paying attention to some nuances in this text. Because yes, for a moment, and this is true in verse nine, she says, blessed be the Lord your God. But most of her worship is really about Solomon. Again, take a look at the pronouns. Um, your wisdom and your prosperity. Uh, happy are your men. Happy are your servants uh, who stand before you. Man, these people who are around you, Solomon, they are just lucky to be around you. Do you realize how incredible you are? Do you realize how special and awesome you are? <laughs> this is literally what she is saying. And this is full on flattery. This is full on flattery. Um, even when she praises the Lord, blessed be the Lord who has delight. I'm praising the Lord because he likes you. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not praising the Lord because he's the Lord. I'm praising the Lord because you made the Lord knows a good person when he sees a good person and you are that good person and you are amazing Solomon. I mean, just be aware of this because there's a difference between there's a difference between thanking God for someone's life and flattering that person's life. It's a fine line and we don't always see it, but this is what, <laughs> this is what the queen of Sheba is doing. Um, and then she even says, because the Lord loved Israel, like because the Lord loved Israel, he has made you king. That's not why the Lord loves Israel. The Lord loves Israel because he covenanted with Israel's uh, father, Abraham. He made a covenant. I'm going to set my love upon your family and I will stay true to this loving covenant no matter what. He does not love the Lord. Uh, Israel does not, the Lord does not love Israel um, because uh, um, Solomon is king. He loves Israel because he has promised to love Israel. Okay. And so he made Solomon king to execute justice and righteousness. But again, it wasn't about Solomon. It was about what Solomon could do for the people that he served. Uh, verse 10, then she gave, uh, she gave all these spices to him. She gave all these gold, all this gold to him. And this is like a once in a generation offering that she makes to Solomon. Uh, basically, the rundown is, wow, Solomon, you were amazing, and God is for you, and look at you, 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 you. <laughs> she is laying it on thick. I want to talk to you about it a minute for about something that we don't even discuss in the church today. It's called the sin of flattering, the sin of flattery. Proverbs 26, 28, a lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Flattery is when people praise you for you, even praise God for you because of you. Like they, they say, God loves you so much. Look at you, oh, man. It, it, they don't even focus on God. They focus on you. And, and that's when flattery has happened. When people just kind of like worship you and think great of you and uh, you know, extol you and, and the focus of their words is you and not the God who gave all those things and blessed you, you have slipped into being flattered. Be careful of flattery because Psalm 5 powerful text, which I had never even noticed before. But look at what David says in Psalm 5, verse 8. Leave me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me, for there is no truth in their mouth. Now, there's no truth in whose mouth? His enemy's mouth. 
And what does it say? Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave and they flatter with their tongue. Enemies, uh, David says, uh, are flatterers. Enemies flatter. And you've got to be careful in your own life because you will potentially think that someone is blessing you or honoring you. And really what they're doing is they're flattering you. And when we are flattered, uh, it, it sets us up for disgrace. It sets, up for, it sets us up for pride. As it says in Proverbs twenty-seven twenty-one. the crucible for silver and the furnace is for gold, but a man is tested by what? By his praise. A man is tested by his praise, not by, not by his uh, pains only. You are tested by the praise of others. And so if you want to make sure that you avoid these pitfalls that Solomon pit, fell into, mind your Word, the words that come into your ears about how you got where you are and who you are from those who might just seek to flatter you. Uh, okay, let's continue on here. Verse 11, it says, Now the fleet of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought from Ophir a very great amount of amalgam wood, or oh, almug wood, and precious stones. And the king made of the almug wood supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also lyres and harps for the singers. No such almug wood would has come or been seen to this day. So again, there's good still going on in Solomon's life, and this is how it works. As we succeed, there's still he's focusing on the king's house, but he's still, you know, letting all those starting those those pride-oriented, you know, self-centered oriented things starting starting start to seep into who he is. It says this, and King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked beside what was given her by the bounty of the king Solomon. So she turned and went back to her land with her servants. Verse 14, now, and this is important here, we're going to talk about the riches of Solomon, how much money he has. It says, now the weight of gold that Solomon had in one year was 666 talents of gold. This is a very important uh, number. I think we all know this because it's not edifying the Lord, it's edifying Solomon. Uh, It says this, besides that which came from the explorers and from the businesses and of the merchants and from all the kings of the West and from the governors of the land, King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold, 600 shekels of gold went into each shield and he made 300 shields of beaten gold, three minas of gold went into each shield and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. The king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with the finest gold. You know that saying, all that glitters is gold. There's a reason for that saying, because gold glitters and it makes us focus. It's a focal point. He's making shields out of gold. Like shields are a functional defense mechanism and he's making them out of gold because he wants this place to be a symbol of riches. It's not enough. Nothing is enough. He's exceedingly rich and he keeps amassing more. He's got this yearly salary of 666 talents of gold, 666, a a very man's oriented number, man oriented number from Revelation. We learned that. This is Solomon's problem. Success has become a pitfall for him. Then this is very funny. Verse 19 of chapter 10. It talks about the throne of Solomon. It says it had six steps. So again, six. And the throne had a round top and on each side of the seat were armrests, two lions standing between the armrests while 12, that is a multiple of six, lions stood there, one on each end of a step on the six steps. The like of it was never made in any kingdom. So Solomon wants to be above and beyond everybody else. And that is another pitfall of success. I want to be the best. Uh, it's never good enough to be good or, or really well off or really substantial. You've got to be better than everybody else. This is a pitfall of success because again, 
It's never enough. Verse 21, all King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold. All the vessels of the house of the forts of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. Silver was not considered anything in the days of Solomon. For the king had a fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish, fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. <laughs> I think that's funny that we have apes and peacocks mentioned uh, in the biblical text here. Solomon's gathering um, apes <laughs> for whatever reason. I guess you know this is a symbol because apes <coughs> really don't have a function. They're not they're not a beast of burden. They don't help build things. They more or less destructive and kind of, you know, I guess, attractive. They're decorative. But this is the kingdom of Solomon, a kingdom of excess and notoriety and fame. Verse 23. Thus King Solomon excelled, in, uh, excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon, Solomon sorry, to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Every one of them brought his present articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, mules, so much year by year. And Solomon gathered together the horses and chariots. He had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities with, uh, and with the king in Jerusalem. Again, gathering, gathering, gathering. We've got to get through this text. We're going to finish off right here, I think. Uh, and the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone, and he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of the Shephelah. And Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt <laughs> and Q. Uh, and the king's traders received them from Q at a price. A chariot would be imported from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And so throughout the king's traders, they were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. Gathering, 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 gathering. And now back to this map for a very important reason. Scripture says he got the horses from Q. He got the chariots from Egypt. He got the gold from Ophir. He got precious stones from the queen of Sheba. And when we go to the map, we take a look at this. Here's Jerusalem. Where did he get his horses? Up here in Q to the north. Where did he get his chariots? To the west, over here in Egypt. Where did he get his spices and gold? Over here um, in Sheba to the east. And then where does he get his uh, almug wood and precious stones and gold? From down here to the south in Ophir. So <laughs> how do you know success is going to your head? When the whole world revolves around you. When everything around you is focused on you getting, you acquiring, you having, this is what, this is a warning sign of success that Solomon is really, he is absolutely an exaggerated form of it. Like <laughs> no one, I don't think any one of you or me included are, are looking to the north, south, east, west for everybody to look at us and focus on us. But these little, these little devices help us do that, don't they? Uh, these little devices, these little feedback uh, fountains. I call it a feedback fountain because I, I want to know. I want to know what people think about me. Did they like my post? Did they like my picture? Did they see that thing? Did they watch my story? Did they, did they follow me? How many people do I have in my, in my, in my following? And, and these kind of things help us to be modern day Solomons in so many respects. It's not even funny. We might not even see it. But this is what we see in Solomon is a very self-centered, prosperous, successful man. And he does all this. He acquires all this. He gets all this. And then at the end of his life, he tells us what it was really about, what it was, what it was all, what it all added up to. And that's probably the most astonishing part of the story because we have the wonderful privilege of glancing ahead into his future and seeing how he would write about this season in his life in his old age. It's called a book. It's, it's the book called Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes 2, he recounts this. He says in verse 8, I gathered myself silver, gold, treasure, 
of the kings and provinces. I got singers, men and women, concubines, the delight of sons of men. I became great. I surpassed all who were before me. The very same testimony of 1 Kings chapter 10. I became great and surpassed all who were before me. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept from my heart no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. In other words, I deserve this. Then he says in verse 12, I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. What can a man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, uh, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. And this is his kind of like recounting the passages that we have just unpacked in 1 Kings chapter 9 and 10, how Solomon is just making the whole world centered on himself. And he's writing it later on in life. And he says, I chased it. I got it. I didn't deny, my, I didn't deny myself anything. And then how does he end it? How does he end that, that narrative of his life as he's journaling later on, uh, you know, as he faces an eternity uh, beyond this life? He says in Ecclesiastes 2.17, so I hated life. <laughs> kind of interesting, right? I hated life. I had all that I wanted and I hated it because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity, a striving after the wind. The point here is, and we are so privileged to get this picture, we're so privileged to be part of the story with Solomon so that we can take warning shots into our own hearts to say, look, the lights might be flashing. We're using people. We're starting to connive situations where we're using people to get possessions. We're centering the whole world around ourselves. Nothing is never good enough. Nothing is ever enough for us. We need more. We are always you know, worried or trying to be the best. All these warning signs that we've looked at in 1 Kings chapter 9 and 10, they are showing us the pitfalls of success. We know about all the plans of success from the bookshelves of, 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 of the bookstore, but the pitfalls, the problems of success, they're far more dangerous. And that's really what we want to tap into. Let's tap into truth and close out this episode. What is 1 Kings chapter 9 and 10 about? They are about the problems we have with success. Most of our lives are about getting ahead, right? Most of our lives are about saying, I need to be good at my job, my family, my life. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what happens after we get it? Again, we, 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 we have so much attention of this to uh, pay to, to acquiring, to gaining, to increasing. But there's no one there other than therapists and counselors really to talk out, to work out with us what we do once we have it. And here's what you have to understand about God. He cares far more about what's in your heart than what's in your hands. He'll take care of what's in your hands. He will take care of your needs. He will never let you go starving and without. He will bless you. He'll provide for you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. But be careful that you don't seek the things that God will give you. And those things unintentionally or subconsciously become God's to you. Let me put it like this on the screen so you understand what I'm talking about. Success brings things, brings things into our life which can take the place of God in our life. Success does this. It brings things into our life which can take the, the place of God in our life. So you think about the things that we try to chase, money, because money says I've got protection, I've got provision, I've got supply, I don't have to worry. Power, uh, we chase power. I want control, I wanna be the boss, I wanna be in charge, I wanna have you know, confidence, I wanna be empowered, I wanna be enabled. And we'll chase money, we'll chase control and power, and then we'll chase importance. I need validation. I need respect. I need honor. I need people not just to see that I have these things and that I control things, 
but I needed people to say, good job with those things. Like, look at you. Your life matters now because of all the ways in which you can provide and control and be respected by your contemporaries. And the thing that we learn from Solomon in 1 Kings chapters uh, 9 and 10 is this, is that success can breed a love of success, right? Because Solomon is never satisfied. It's never enough. I need more. He's thinking building ships to go down to Ophir to bring him 666 talents of gold. I mean, it's never enough. And he, and he will do this until his dying day. You know, it's, the, it's the, 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 the pattern that we see so often in the sports world, the entertainment industry, or the you know, corporate industry, or the Wall Street industry, the constant quest, right? The constant question, what's the next thing? Let me get the next thing in my life. The unrelenting feeling that you don't have enough or the paralyzing fear of losing what you do have. So that's why Solomon, again, is gathering those, <laughs> he's gathering those chariots, he's gathering those horses, he's gathering those, those weapons because he wants to make sure that he can keep all the things that he gained for himself because the worst thing could be he loses all that he has. So success, as great as it can be, is the blessing from God, can also lead our hearts toward loving success. Is that in your life? I, I, I challenge you to think about this. Are you loving your position more than the purpose of your position in your life? Be mindful of this. Are you, you, can, you can chase the, 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 the business, the successful business, and before you know it, the business becomes everything to you. You can't tithe. You can't give. You can't use your, your, use your business traits to give other people jobs and opportunity and income. You, it's more about your name, your reputation, your value in society. And before you know it, you've changed and people see it, but you don't see it. That's what Solomon did. He didn't even see it as this all took place. The, the flattery came, the praise, the fame, the power all came. And before you knew it, his heart would be driven away from the Lord by the women that he acquired through all of the success. And, and we're going to get to that uh, next time on the deep dive. But here's the point about success you've got to understand is that it is just another one of life's varied tests. That's really what it is. It's nothing more than just another test. And I wish that I could have had better news for you about success. Like it is a blessing, but it's also a test. It's, it's very difficult to think about this because I, we, we so often think that we will finally have passed the tests of life when we succeed, but that's not true. You just take a different kind of test. And so what do we got to do? We got to learn. We got to learn from Solomon here. What does 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tell us about these Old Testament stories? It says, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. This is an example for you, right? And he goes on about all that the people of Israel did. They indulged in idolatry. They indulged in sexual morality. Uh, they died. They put God to the test, right? They were destroyed. But verse 11, I love this. Now, these things happened to them as an example. Again, back to that text, uh, back to that same word, an example for us. They were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And then look at verse 12. I love this line. First King, First Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Don't you think that Solomon thought, I am standing. I'm good. I got it. I got life down. I know. I got this shipment of gold coming in next week. I'm so pumped. Things are going so well. Queen of Sheba's coming by for another powwow in a couple of weeks. My life is good. I don't think for one second he thought he was, you know, he was failing. He thought he was standing. And usually it is those points, those places where we think we have got it under control, 
where things start to fall apart around our, in our lives. And, and what are we saying? Are we saying, oh, so just avoid anything good? No, 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 no. That's not what this text is saying. It's saying stay humble. It's staying. Stay, it's saying stay reliant on the Lord. James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. It's saying don't put your trust in what you have and what you can acquire and what you can provide for yourself. The best way you can live, the best way to live before the Lord is say, Father, I need you. I need you today just as much as when I had nothing to my name. I need you today to manage all the things that you've given me, to see them for the, the purposes that you want to accomplish through me and not for the things in themselves. And I think really this two chapters is about those warning signs for us, the flashing lights as we're speeding down the highway of chasing the American dream and the, line, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the sign is blinking at us. You're going too fast. There's an accident waiting to happen. Slow down, get humble, get grateful, get on your knees and say, God, what do you want me to do with this now? The same prayer, right? The same prayer of 1 Kings chapter 3, um, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a servant in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, too many, too many to be numbered. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. In other words, God, I need your help with what I have right now. The success is not a problem. It's how you see it. And now you need to start saying, I'm going to see this success as just another test and another tool in my hands for God to use me to accomplish his purposes. And that's the show, everybody. I'm glad that you were here. Support the channel. If you would, cash app Tim Hatch Live or timhatchlive.com slash support. I'm so glad that you uh, joined me tonight. It is an absolute privilege to bring this content to you. And please subscribe to the channel. Hit that like button. It helps the algorithm. Gets this content out to more viewers on YouTube and share the channel. Share the content with someone that you think might appreciate it. Um, I'm so privileged to bring it to you. Uh, it is a very humbling endeavor for me because as we study these texts, it challenges my heart as well. And I pray that it challenges your heart so that you can succeed the way God wants you to succeed and last and love, most importantly, God and others. God bless you guys. Have a great night. Uh -huh.